In the Greco-Roman world, for every 100 women, there were 140 men. Sounds like a nightmare for women. The law of Romulus in Rome stated that a father was required to raise all healthy boys, but only the firstborn female. Any others after that could be disposed of. One author in her book, Unnatural Selection, wrote that Asia alone has an imbalance of 163 million more males than females. 163 million more males than females. Once a fetus has been identified as a female, it is more likely to be unwanted. This imbalance in turn has consequences for women. Rich families cannot find brides for their sons, so poor families are more likely to sell their daughters, which leads to a rise in sex trafficking in the marriages of girls sometimes younger than 12 years old. So who is this man? Who is this man, Jesus, that we're trying to learn more about? Who is this man, Jesus, who lived in a time when culture was steeped in testosterone? What difference could a Jewish rabbi have to change the way we view women? How could a man influence the views of a woman? The longest recorded conversation Jesus had with a woman is found in John chapter 4. Many of you will know it as the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus has this conversation with. It says that Jesus was tired from his journey and he sat down by Jacob's well. When the Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well, Jesus asks her for a drink. Taken back, the woman begins a conversation with Jesus because it was unheard of for a man to talk to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman. As I've said many times before, Jews and Samaritans hated each other. They did not talk, whether it was even males talking together. They disliked one another. But yet Jesus takes the time and he begins to have this conversation with this woman. Toward the end of the long conversation with Jesus and the Samaritan woman in John 4, 27, it says that just then the disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. The disciples, Jesus' disciples, the closest people to Jesus, were surprised to find him talking with a woman. Why? Why would they be surprised? When the Samaritan woman and Jesus were talking, Jesus eventually brings to her attention that he knows that she's had five husbands and the man that she lives with now is not her husband. 
And, and that's kind of the trigger for the Samaritan woman that this man is not just an ordinary man. There's something different about him. And they begin to have this conversation. Many people believe that this meant that she was sexually immoral, unfaithful. That's why she had five husbands and now doesn't even live with, she lives with a man, but it's not even her husband. So naturally we just think, well, she's sexually immoral. She's gone out, she's had affairs, and now she's living with a man that she's not married to. But in reality, divorces were very rare in Jesus' day. It wasn't something at all like today, where it almost seems like an epidemic. Even among Christians, the, the rate for divorce is about 50%, which differs absolutely none from those who do not claim to follow Christ. We don't know how many of this woman's marriages ended in divorce or death. Um, there's apparently no records of, of women asking for a divorce. You see, in other words, what Jesus is, is telling us here is that this woman has been rejected. She, she's been pushed aside and she's been told that she, she doesn't have any value. But Jesus takes the time to, to show her that she is a valuable person. That her life does have value. In the modern day telling of this story, it's often assumed that she was a scandalized woman. A social outcast to her own people. That her own people just kind of pushed her to the side. But if you read on, after Jesus in this woman have this conversation. It says that the woman goes back to her community, goes back to her village, and she begins telling all of the Samaritan people about this man who knew everything about her. And she tells them, I think he's the Messiah. And you see, they listened to her. It says in John 4, 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him, believed in Jesus, because of this woman's testimony. If she was an outcast to her people, they would have never listened to her. They would have never believed what she said. They would have never came to believe in Jesus Christ if she was an outcast. This woman was poor. She herself was going to the well to, to get the water. She wasn't a, a rich woman. She wasn't an affluent woman. She didn't have a slave that would go and get her water for her. She had to get it herself. Jesus was saying, I know you're a woman. And I know you're a Samaritan. I know your life is hard. I know you've gone through a lot of struggles and a lot of pain. I know that you've been pushed to the side and been rejected by men. I know it's uncomfortable right now for you to be talking with me, a man. Have you ever had a conversation with a woman? 
Let me ask this specifically to the men first. Have you ever had a conversation with a woman who is terrified of men? Have you, honestly, have you ever had a conversation, any of you? You could have the utmost nicest intentions. You could be treating them like they're priceless, but they're terrified of you. They kind of stand back from you. They're on guard. They're hesitant to what's going to happen. What is he going to do next? So I can only imagine that this woman was kind of frightened to have a conversation with Jesus. But Jesus is taking the time to tell her that you matter. I care about you. See, Jesus sat down at the well and he engaged in a deep theological, personal conversation. But see, she talk, he talked about her relationship with God. Because Jesus knew that more than anything, more than any man had ever treated her, the most important thing that she was missing out on was God's love. So he begins to have this conversation with her. He begins to take her questions seriously. And he listens to her. He takes time and sits and listens. He invests in her life. Is it any wonder that this woman could not stop talking about Jesus. She had now seen what it meant to be loved. She had now seen what it meant to have her own identity. Because it was no longer about what the men in her life had done to her, but it was now about her identity in God. There's a story of a CEO and his wife, and they were driving on a long trip, and they pulled over to a gas station, and they stopped to get gas. The CEO, the husband, goes into the gas station to, to pay, and when he comes out, he finds his wife talking to the, the gas station attendant. And so the husband gets in the car, and he asks, you know, what are we talking to him about? And she said, well, I, I actually know him, and I actually used to date him. And so the, the CEO, you know, kind of feeling, you know, kind of proud of himself and a little smug, he, he looks over at his wife and he says, I bet you're thinking you're glad you married me, a CEO, and not a gas station attendant. His wife just returns the glare and looks at him said, no, I'm thinking if I'd married him, he'd be a CEO and you would be a gas station attendant. <laughs> you see, when society says a CEO of a company, one of our most natural instincts is to think of a man. 
but it's slowly changing. But you see, the man put his identity on her. He was saying, because I'm a CEO, you now have value. If you would have married a gas station attendant, your identity would have been lower than mine as a CEO. But what she said was, no, you're a CEO because of my value. Think about that. The value of a woman. Why do we naturally give labels based on people's husband's identity or title? You see, the story had changed. Jesus is now offering women a new community. He's offering them something different that had never been offered before. Jesus was forever changing the views of women. In Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, it says, the scriptures will be on the screen. It says, After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been, cursed, been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Chazuza, however you want to call it, um, the manager of Herod's household, and Susanna, and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. It's really easy for us to over to, to be reading in the Luke chapter eight and just skim over this and say, cool, he had some he had women with him now, and go right on. But think about this now in the context of knowing that women were cast aside. Women had no value to a person. You see, women did not travel with men. Women who were considered proper stayed inside. Women didn't even go outside. It was inside for the women. In Greece, Hellenistic plays were mostly populated by slave girls or prostitutes because they were set outside in an, in an open theater and so the respectable, the urban women or the younger women that weren't married were expected to be inside. So it was wrong for women to even be seen outside with men. Jesus had women and men traveling together. Could you imagine the rumors? Seriously, could you imagine? Society today is to a point where I, as a pastor, cannot be in a car alone with another woman that is not my wife. Because I'm just setting myself up for some ridiculous scandal because I'm giving some lady a ride to her 
you know, doctors appointment. We're going back to that. They couldn't be seen together. But even more important, think about this. This is the first case that I can think of where the women were supporting the men. It says that the women were helping to support them out of their own means. That they were sacrificially giving to the cause, to the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. See, Diedrich Bonhoeffer had it right when he said, when he says that Jesus gave women human dignity. That it was Jesus who begins. The women's right movement did not begin in the late 1800s, early 1900s. It began when Jesus walked on this earth. See, Jesus was giving them their dignity. To help you out a little more understand the, the value of a woman in this time, in ancient Athens, girls received little or no education. They were equally classified as a child, no matter how old they were or how, what their IQ was. Women that are like in their 70s, 80s, you are a child. Back then. Therefore, they were always the property of some man. They were often married on the onset of puberty or even before. If a woman was seduced or raped, her husband was legally obligated to divorce her. Seduction was punished, was punished more severely than rape. Because if you seduced a married woman she might give you some of her husband's money. Laws regarding women were largely laws about property. You weren't a human. You were just property. In ancient Sparta, a mother who gave birth to a son would receive twice the food rations as a mother who gave birth to a daughter. The only women who got their names on tombstones were women who died in childbirth. The ways of Jesus were so influential and Christianity was so attractive to women that in the year 370, the emperor Valentinian issued a written order to the Pope, of, Pope Damasus I requiring that Christian missionaries cease calling on the homes of pagan women. Because for the first time, these women who had been treated like property and trash and worthless were beginning to be loved by people. Were beginning to see how they should be treated and honored. And so many people, many women, are the very foundations of the early church. In Luke 10, 39 through 42, we find another similar story of, of Mary and Martha. 
Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had, been, that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work all by myself? Tell her to help me. Jesus replies, Martha, Martha. You're worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. You see, sitting around the table, sitting at a table with men was not a place where women sat. You see, it was the tradition that as the rabbi or the teacher taught his disciples, the disciples would sit around in front of him. But you see, Mary had taken a place next to the other men, next to the other disciples. And you see, Jesus is reaching out and he's inviting women and saying, I want you to be my disciples too. This isn't just something that's just for men, but this is for women as well. He was saying that women had value. It was women who reported to the disciples that Jesus has rose from the dead. And believe it or not, roughly half of the households that Paul mentioned in his letters that formed the infrastructures of the early churches were headed by women. Evidently, the denominations that don't allow women to be ordained or say that women can't be in leadership failed to miss a lot of these verses. They're not in their Bible, evidently. Because Jesus and the early disciples appointed women to be the leaders of churches because Jesus saw the value in a woman's life. O.M. Bake has documented that it was where the church spread in the early centuries after Jesus that girls ceased as a matter of routine being disposed of at birth and being enslaved and sexually exploited in childhood. It was where the church spread that women began to have value. They began to see and value the importance and see that women could be identified in who they were and not based on being property of a man. Dorothy Sayers a very intelligent and a woman who achieved something in her time that had never been done before. She was the first woman to receive a degree from Oxford University, which she did with first-class honors. She became a devoted follower of Christ. And she comments in one of her books on this passage of Scripture concerning Martha and Mary. She says this, I think I have heard a sermon preached on the story of Martha and Mary. I think I have never heard a story preached that did not attempt somehow to explain away its text. 
Mary's, of course, was the better part. The Lord said so. And we must not precisely contradict him. But Martha was doing a really feminine job. Whereas Mary was just behaving like any other disciple, male or female. That is a hard pill to swallow. She goes on and says, Perhaps it is no wonder that the women were first at the cradle and last at the cross. They had never known a man like this. They, there never has been such another, a prophet and a teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or coaxed or patronized, never made arch jokes about them, who never treated them as either the woman, the, the women, God help us, or the ladies, God bless them, who rebuked without demeaning and praised without condescension, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere, their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no axe to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. You see, Jesus said women have value. Jesus said women were just as valuable as men. And Dorothy Sayers makes the comment about it being females at the foot of the cross when Jesus died. Because think about it. Where were his disciples? Where were the 12 most beloved men in his life the most treasured man that they had given their lives devoted to for three years had never left his side until he was crucified. And he died. And it was women who were there at his feet. Because Jesus gave them something that no man has ever given women before. He gave them dignity. He gave them value. The rights that you have today as women, I want you to think. The rights that you have belong to one person. You have one person to thank for the value and the freedom that you have in this world. It was because of a man named Jesus who said, you may be treated as trash, but you'll be treasured as priceless in my sight. Dorothy says that he was a man that women loved because he saw value in them. 
But she goes on to say that there has never been such a man like him. And there hasn't. Your value as a woman is owed to one man. And here's the thing, women. Don't let any other man besides Jesus Christ dictate what your value is. Because Jesus, who died for you, says that you're priceless. And I think it's time for the rest of the men in this world to figure that out. And to treasure you as being valuable and priceless to our lives as well. Because without you, no man would be here. Because life begins at the cradle with you. And Jesus says that you're priceless. Let no other man tell you any different.